Hello and welcome to episode four of GBC's Labor Fair, Pandemic Edition. This year, as a result of the pandemic turned endemic, we've decided to take our event fully online. Through videos and podcasts, we've aimed to document the actions and living discourse of the activists working in the streets and in the margins for fairness, equity, and social justice in an increasingly atomized and exploitative labor economy. Class consciousness begins by breaking down the dominant technological and sociological alienation so prevalent today. It begins by sharing stories and experiences. We're not going to change the world with social media, but it can help to get the word out. If you like what you hear, please like and share on social media, and be sure to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Links are in the show notes. Editor's note, this interview was taken outside of the United Steelworkers Hall at 25 Cecil. So, enjoy some of the additional acoustic ecology we've captured along with Jennifer and Sarab's interview. Hi. Hi. <laughs> um, so, do you want to tell me a little bit, first of all, who you are? Uh, and and what you do, both in terms of the work that you do in uh, at, like qua labor, and then the work that you do in terms of organization. Yeah. So my name is Jennifer Scott. I'm a gig worker. Um, I work on bicycle in downtown Toronto, and I work on apps like Uber Eats and DoorDash and Skip the Dishes. And then I'm also the president of Gig Workers United, uh, CUPW, which is a union working for gig workers' rights. Okay. So. Gig work is a phrase, a terminology that is deployed like all across the political map. It means like several things. What does gig worker mean when you're using it? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, gig work is a really broad term, especially right now as we're seeing the gigification of all work. Uh, but for us at Gig Workers United, it means people who work on apps. So apps like Uber, DoorDash, Skip the Dishes, Instacart, um, Corner Shop, Amazon Flex. We are folks who deliver hot food. Um, we're folks who shop for and deliver groceries or parcels. Um, and we're even some of the folks who deliver parcels for Amazon. Um, I want to like unpack a little bit how gig work, that title is instrumentalized to, to talk about um, flexibility and freedom. Uh, can you speak a little bit to, to how um, gig work is kind of misrepresented? So I think all of the apps collectively, it's as if they had a conversation with each other and they were like, here's how we're going to, here's how we're going to pull off this grift. Um, and they created a business um, and they use the term flexibility as a kind of veil to hide really terrible employment practices behind. And so we often hear apps like Uber talk about flexibility and say workers want the flexibility that Uber offers. So like being able to go to work whenever they want, being able to work for multiple employers at once, um, you know, and all these, these sorts of things. But the reality is that what flexibility actually looks like on the ground as a worker is vastly different from how apps present it. Um, you know, so for me, when I signed up to work this job, uh, I had another job and I wanted to earn some money alongside it um, and to replace it, actually. Um, and, and this idea that I could go to work whenever I wanted, that I could pick my shifts or log in whenever I wanted, that was really appealing to me. Um, but what I learned once I had the job was that it's not financially lucrative for me to work whenever I want to. I like to get up early, but nobody is ordering McDonald's at 4 a.m. or 5 a.m. It's 
most financially profitable to work, say, like Friday night, Saturday night. Um, and I think apps really manipulate this, this language or this idea of flexibility so that they can continue to misclassify, underpay workers and deny us our basic rights. So this kind of gives us a clear sense of what gig work is. What is your work like? Do you mind telling us a little bit about your day and what that looks and feels like? Sure. So when I do this work, I work both as a bike courier and then I also sometimes deliver by like walking, uh, which is really tough, especially in Canada in the winter. Um, I don't like to work in the neighborhood that I, I live in because I find that there aren't as many deliveries available to me. So I bike, I pack a lunch, I get my work clothes on, my safety equipment, and I bike downtown Toronto to where I know it's going to be busy and be lucrative for me. And then I log into the app um, and then I have to wait for an order. And sometimes I'm waiting for 10 minutes and sometimes I'm waiting for 40 minutes and I don't get paid. Uh, when I'm waiting, even though, you know, here I am with my bike and my coat and my bag and my lunch, I'm, I'm at work, but I don't get paid unless I have a delivery. Um, and then once I get a delivery, I, I go and I deliver it and I keep on doing that on repeat and repeat until I, I personally have earned enough money that day to be able to pay my bills. And then I repeat the next day. You are a worker yourself, but you're also president of uh, Gig Workers United. Can you talk a little bit about organization? Why organizing, if that's not painfully obvious? And then we'll get into how. I mean, so like, why would workers want to organize? Because our lives are not the quality that they should be. Um, because we have jobs, we work full time. Some of us, like a, there is a large group of workers who would consider working full time to be working 50 or 60 hours a week, you know, compared to like a traditional job and traditional employment. Um, but we have, we have jobs. We go to work, we do our job. We, you know, in the pandemic, we were essential workers. And despite that, we don't have basic rights and protections, so we don't have the right to earn at least minimum wage. Uh, we are constantly penalized and deactivated, which is a form of like being fired, um, almost arbitrarily without reason. And we have no recourse to sort of file a grievance or appeal or get our jobs back. Um, we have no paid sick days, no paid vacation days, no overtime. We have nothing. And, and the only reason that we are in that situation is because apps intentionally misclassify us, because they tell the government and the employment um, ministry that we are not real workers. And so we don't deserve or we don't need or we don't want employment standards and employment rights. And that's not the case. There is nobody who wants to work full-time, who counts full-time as 50 or 60 hours, who wants to get injured at work and then have access to zero protections and zero resources. That is not a way of working that's going to work for all of us in the future. We all deserve better than that. One of the ramifications of this technological shift toward apps is that there isn't... Uh, lunchroom 
per se. There isn't a workplace where you can gather and share stories with each other and be like, actually, I'm uh, experiencing this difficult thing. I'm experiencing this exploitation. And that has fundamentally been at the, that, that's like kind of at the root of how people began to organize. So whether it's a bug or a feature, the apps block that. So how have you and your confreres approached organizing in this new technological milieu? Yeah, I mean, we started organizing with Foodsters United, which was a, a union campaign to unionize uh, the couriers who worked on Foodora in Toronto and Mississauga. And we had to confront what you're talking about up front right then. Um, and the world is our workplace. So how do we find each other? But I think that's also the answer. If the world is our workplace and we work this job, then we know or we can guess where workers will be. And I think one of the things about being isolated from your coworkers, one of the things about not having anyone to talk to about the things you experience at work is that when you have the opportunity to talk to a coworker, it feels really, really good. Um, and so what we saw was that as we were organizing and as we were talking with each other, we wanted more connection. We wanted to build community. So, you know, the union... Um, our union has always used a couple of different ways to achieve that. One that I think is really important for folks to, to take a look at is, is stewarding. And so a traditional union would have a series of stewards and their, their job would be to connect with their coworkers, find out if workers have grievances, help them pursue those grievances, um, and just sort of ensure that workers are connected to what's going on in the union and that the union is representing the issues and the concerns of the workers. And so one of the first things that we did was we figured out how to take this traditional stewarding idea and how to turn that into a version of stewarding that would work for us. And so if we're constantly calling each other, we're constantly checking in on each other, creating digital spaces where workers can connect with each other, ask for help when they have problems, uh, maybe even talk about things they're experiencing on the app that are illegal or aren't okay, we took this very traditional thing that exists in trade unionism and we found a way to make it modern and digital and work for us. Can you share some kind of examples of some of the creative ways that you have approached organizing and reaching out to co-workers who might not be as activated or, you know, have come to the same sort of conclusions as you did through the work experience? Back when we were Foodsters United, um, we had our case in front of the Ontario Labour Relations Board. We're waiting to find out if they're going to rule in our favour. A bunch of our co-workers have testified and sort of been grilled by Fedora's lawyer, treated as if they were on, on trial, not the company. Um, and it was Christmas. And so we wanted to do something to show support for each other and to show each other that, you know, being in a court case can seem very boring and, and complex to show each other that we're still here. Um, and so we sat, we sat in a big room, a whole bunch of us, and we just brainstormed ideas. And we came up with this idea that we would decorate our bikes and our delivery bags like they were Christmas trees with lights. And we all had like... Christmas hats and we took traditional Christmas carols and then changed the words so that they would become carols about what we were going through. 
And then somebody also had the idea that we should give our boss um, coal for Christmas because he'd been a bad boss. And so we, we picked a number of locations that were meaningful to workers, places where we would loiter or take breaks or hang out with each other. And we, um, I think it took about an hour and a half, two hours, and we biked around stopping at each of these places, singing our Christmas carols with like a big bullhorn. And then we went into the Fedora office. We sang uh, the best Christmas carol. All of the, the dispatchers were laughing. They found it highly entertaining. I'm sure we looked really cute. Um, and then we gave the boss this jar of coal and told him it was for oh, yeah. <laughs> it was his his reward for being an employer i think creative creativity and union organizing is really important um, and i think it makes it accessible for workers this idea that we do this work it's our work we know what needs to change but also we know how to make it change When we spoke over Zoom in preparation for this um, interview, I was finding it really exciting, like moving how you were talking about class solidarity and talking about um, some of the gains that have been made in terms, at the very least, of that solidarity. Do you want to speak to that experience at all? or? I think something that's been really meaningful about our organizing is that it is, it is worker-led it is worker directed. We make the decisions and we do the work. And we do that with this whole crew of allies behind us. We have the Canadian Union of Postal Workers and all of the postal workers who have, you know, who are employed by a corporation that constantly mistreats them. We have a really amazing legal team who take direction from the workers which I, I don't think is something that all workers get. And then we have the Ontario Federation of Labour and all of the labour councils. And so we, we exist within this sphere of like the broader labour movement. And even though we are not certified, even though on paper we would not be considered both like real workers or real members of a union, Everybody says that doesn't matter because the workers are doing the organizing, because the workers are putting their heart and their time into it and they're going to win. And I think as people who are struggling in a job that, that really impacts the quality of our life, we're challenging ourselves to raise our expectations um, and to look to the future as one that can be significantly different and significantly better, knowing that thousands and thousands of people are standing behind us saying you're doing a great job keep up the good work I think is really meaningful or it has been for me can we begin with you introducing yourself my name is Saurabh I'm a gig worker I've been working for Uber Eats for more than a year now I mostly do uh, food deliveries in downtown Toronto uh, I do it on my e-bike. Can you talk a little bit about your work experience on an average day? Uh, so whenever I'm doing this work, uh, I mostly do work on the lunch in, during the lunch hours and the dinner hours, because that is the time when you uh, when you can make money doing this job. So in a t on a typical day, I would start at 12 and uh, do the lunch hour, finish this shift at two, come back home, put my bike on charge, and then get back on the road at around 5:36 and then come back home around 9.30, 10, depending on if I've made the money I went out to make. Do you want to talk about your work uh, with the union? 
uh, I started this job in December 2020. Okay. Around the spring of 2021, uh, after doing this job for three, four months in like cold winter days, uh, I was kind of getting a bit uh, frustrated with the job that there was no boss, there was no supervisor, there was no one with whom we could go to. There were so many problems which I wanted to share with people, but you see the nature of this job is very... By nature, this job is kind of isolating because you are everyone is doing their own thing. Um, and whenever you are at work, you are engaged in doing deliveries. There is no common place where the workers can meet. So I used to share this with my neighbors where I was living, and I was like, this is, this is wrong. This, this happened today, and this shouldn't have happened. And I was like, I used to talk about, like, you know, I think if workers get together, like, many of these problems can be solved. Like, I would get frustrated for small things, for things like I would be on Queen's Key and, like, my tire would get punctured. Now I have an e-bike, and there's only one shop in Toronto which fixes that. Yeah, right. And that shop closes at six. So now I, I had to like drag my bike all the way from Queen's Key to like, you know, back to where I live on Little Italy. And I was like, I think if workers are organized, we could have like someone, we could have this shop open for longer or have some support of that kind. You know, if you give them more people, they yeah. will support us. But alone, I'm, I'm nothing. Yeah. So things, conversations like this, and then my neighbor suggested me, have you checked out this union called Gig Workers United? And I, I, had, I had not heard of them at all before this. And then I started checking out the website and the Twitter page. And then I came and met them. And, uh, and that changed everything for me in a way. Because after I met Gig Workers United, uh, I found out there are so many other people whom I can share these things with. And we can work together to make this workplace better. So you talk about working together with uh, your colleagues in the union. Yes. What sort of stuff are you doing? So we are working together to make people aware of like what worker rights we have, like what we deserve and yeah. how our boss has misclassified us and is mistreating us and keeping us away from getting those rights. So that's the major thing which we have been doing, I think, as, as together we have been connecting with more and more workers and bringing everyone together. It's a bit granular, but I find the, the one of the questions that came up for me pretty immediately was, so when I first started as a bike messenger, I walked until I saved enough for a bike. And I've looked at those e-bikes, and they're pretty pricey. Do, can you talk a bit about how the e-bike situation works? Yeah, so I started doing it on normal manual bike, a bike I bought for like $100 yeah. uh, from Decathlon. Yeah. So, And the problem with that bike was... So I, I immigrated in 2020 to Canada. Yeah. And before this, like I had never like used a manual bike that much. I used to have motorbike in India. And uh, in India, because of the population and the things so cheap that there's, there's always a mechanic available to fix things. But here the situation is different. And so every time I, I did not know how to fix a puncture of the bike. Yeah. So my manual bike would get punctured once a week. Yeah. And the cost of fixing puncture here would be like 30 to $40. Yeah. And that was a substantial chunk of my wage for the week. So I was like, I need I need a solution where I'm not spending, you know, half of my day's paycheck in fixing a puncture. Nice. So, and then I researched and found that e-bikes kind of have more stability. Like their tires are thicker and like they don't get punctured as much. That's why I went for e-bike and I got it secondhand uh, 
And I kind of like had saved money for that, but I was working on the now normal bike. Are you able to do the repairs on your e-bike? Or I know that sometimes when they're under warranty, you're yeah. not allowed. To. So uh, for e-bike, there is so the e-bike I have is only one shop in town in Toronto, which fixes those kind of bikes. And since it's the only shop, they have kind of monopoly and they charge whatever they want. But the good thing with e-bike is it doesn't get damaged that much because the I think the frame, the engine like is very simple, right? But yeah, whenever there is a problem, it's like I have to spend my full day's wage on fixing that if there is a puncture of e-bike. You brought an Employment Standards Act claim to the Ministry of Labor. Can you talk a little bit about that? Last year, I think in August, uh, I was out working in the evening. I just started my shift at like six in the evening. And I get a delivery on my phone saying that uh, there's a delivery from Little Italy to like Lakeshore near Shepherd, near, near Sherburn. And I was doing that. It was a seven kilometer delivery. And usually I wouldn't have done that because it's too far. And But at this time, the the amount it showed on my app was like good enough for me to do this delivery. So I took the order. I delivered the food. But as soon as I delivered the food, my account got deactivated. And I got a message on my phone saying, uh, there has been some suspicious activity on your uh, from your side and we have de deactivated your account. And this is like, I'm, I just started my shift. Like, you know, I'm, I'm as I told you, like I whenever I go out, it's I go out for three, four hours and I go out with the mindset, this is the money I'm, I'll have to make today. And I was deactivated, I couldn't work any longer. Uh, I tried calling uh, whatever support system they have on the app. No one picked up. I was on hold for more than two hours. I come back home and I also talk to some other workers and I find out that some other workers are also having the same issue and all of their accounts have been deactivated. I come back home, I try calling them again, no one picks up. Tomorrow, I again, like after like around 16, 18 hours, I again try calling them because, you know, that is my livelihood. Like I'm, that is the money I earn to pay my rent and food. Like if I'm deactivated for violating community guidelines, whereas I did not do anything wrong. That was the major point. Like, why are you accusing me of something I did not do? And where can I take this? Whom can I take it, take this to? Then later, I think I spoke with Jennifer at the union and we, and uh, she kind of supported me like if there's anything I need and kind of like helped me in calling them again. I called them again. This time I was on a call for like around one and a half hours. I was made to speak with six different persons on that call from one department to other. And I was pretty consistent in telling them that there was some amount of money which was promised to me. That amount never came to my account. Plus you deactivated my account. I could not make any money that night. So like, you need to do something about this. First of all, activate my account. I did not do anything wrong. They were like, yes, we will activate your account, but we will not be able to give you that money. And then I was still like pretty persistent. Like it was fair. Like I was like, there are some contract we signed. And as per that contract, you told me that whatever money shows on my app, that is my wage. I will get that wage if I complete the task you told me to do. They said, okay, just wait for two more hours. I waited for two more hours, and at this time, the amount which I was owed came to my account, and my account was deactivated. It was like, I was okay, happy, like, when uh, I got the wage which I deserved, which I worked for. But a few hours after that, I get a message saying that we have deducted that money from your account, 
there was a technical glitch and because of that glitch you were paid more than you deserve and now we are taking this money back and that was shocking and i was like you gave me this money this is the month end my rent is due when whoever is doing this work knows what they are out for and what money they need so like i could not work that night i anyways lost money so you could have should have anyways compensated me for that fault of yours but i get a message no nothing can be done i it was like crying to the screen which is one of the hardest thing about the job like all you have is this app like i said there is no one to go complain to like if there is a human i can talk to i can tell him like look boss i have rent due like you know that money was important to me here there is just this app and I, it was like i'm screaming at the app it was blank after that i decided i came back to the union again i was like is there any way you can support me on this and and i i got support in the sense that our union took this matter to discuss it with some lawyers and we found out that there is a provision in the employment standard acts which says that an employer cannot claw back money from you without following the due process from the story itself even if there is no law like it looks obvious that this is this was wrong like if my employer tells me that you have to unload this truck and i'll pay you 400 dollars and usually if i'm paid 100 dollars for that that day i i unloaded your truck when you said 400 and later if you come back and say that was a technical glitch what is my fault in this right so the we filed an esa complaint to to claim this money back and uh, there was a thorough investigation done i think the investigation spanned over 3 months and uh, i think we submitted like a lot of evidence so as, much evidence like 300 400 pages of evidence so i'm much. talking about and and if you see like without the union support this would not not have been possible if i was alone like because of the the sheer amount of investigation which was required in this case uber submitted their own their response we submitted our response and after this investigation there was a small uh, hearing as well not a hearing but like a some questions were asked by officer yeah. to me uh and after all of this the decision came last week which was that you are an employee because uber's claim was that this person cannot file this claim because he is not an employee he is not governed by the employment standards act and he does not deserve these protections which are available in this act but when we told the whole situation to the employment standards officer that how this work is and she applied the fourfold test or all the tests which are present in the under the employment standards act she found that i am indeed an employee and i deserve all the protections in her ruling and she went on the, the employment standards officer went on to investigate other standards which were violated by uber not just this one where they clawed back money illegally other standards such as whether i'm getting paid minimum wage and she found i was not getting paid minimum wage whether i was working for the you know the the hours which are prescribed in the act that was violated i was not paid for any public holiday that was violated mm-hmm. i was not given any vacation pay that was violated so there are like bunch of violations which the labor officer found and other than this the labor officer also uh, passed an order saying that to uber and you need to start complying with the employment standards act and this is ministry of labor and this does not come as a shock to us because gig workers have been saying this from day one that we are employees and we deserve these rights our employer has misclassified us 
the shock to us is that it has taken, Uber has been here for seven years. It has taken the Ministry of Labor seven years yeah. to find this out. That an employer which employs one in five people in Ontario, that is a statement, one in five people, is is like is engaging in illegal labor practice. So that that was a shocking part. But like now that the decision is out, uh, I think we have made some progress here. I think also to offer some more, you know, I was speaking earlier about how we are intentionally misclassified. And so that means that every single time we look towards employment standards towards the Ministry of Labor. Um, every single time we want to pursue a, co a complaint about something egregious related to our health and safety. Every single time we do that, Uber or any other app will come back and say, but they're not real workers, so they're not entitled to have say. They're not entitled to be um, able to complain. And so every single time, any worker who files a complaint has to then go through this entire process of proving that they are a misclassified worker. And that's an incredibly difficult process. Um, so Rob said that this is the first time in seven years that the ministry has ruled on Uber. But that's not because the ministry did it on their own because they were enforcing employment standards. It's because workers demanded that they did. Our union did a lot of work to help the case in regards to like finding that evidence, finding that documentation, because it is too much work for one person to do on their own while they're working their job and trying to survive and pay rent in Toronto. Part of the reason that misclassification is so prevalent and so difficult to for workers to fight back against is because of the way that that the law um, the law in Ontario allows classification to be dealt with so like for example in Sarab's case Sarab had to then prove no you know I am not independent contractor, I am misclassified. In other jurisdictions all over the world, and, and especially in the US, there is a law called the, the ABC test. Way back, I think in 2017 in California, gig workers fought really hard to bring that ABC test into play in California, and they did successfully um, under something called AB5. But so having a version of the ABC test in Ontario employment law would mean that the employer, on the day that they start hiring people, has to prove that the people that they hire are not employees and not entitled to rights and protections. And the difference that that would make, you know, you know, taking a look at Rob's case compared to what's going on right now, is that all of this work that we had to do, all of those months of being in this process, were to prove that we were not independent contractors. There's a way to put that responsibility on the employer from the start, which we think is the way that it should be. Right now, it is a deeply unfair system. And that's also part of the reason why Uber and other apps have been able to operate in this way for so long, because it is extremely difficult as one person on your own to fight back and to win. And then, of course, that's also why the union is so important, because when we are united together, when we fight back together, we have more strength, we have more resources, we have more knowledge, and we have a much higher likelihood of winning. Premier Ford has introduced a new and creatively named bill that's going to offer workers $15 an hour. 
Um, can you uh, speak to how this news is hitting for you? This is something that I think everybody should know. Uber has been lobbying in Canada since January of 2021 for some of the most regressive labor policy we've ever had, like in our lifetimes. It's you know, if you're familiar with Prop 22, the, the ballot measure that Uber paid for in California, it's a Canadian version of that. They lobby hard. They put a lot of money into lobbying. But we still expect our government to hold firm against employers who are trying to undermine labor standards. This, this bill, Bill 88, is extremely similar to what Uber has lobbied for. And so the, the idea of a $15 per hour minimum wage, but only for engaged time. And engaged time is a term that Uber and other apps use. And it means only when I am delivering or only when I, if I'm doing rideshare, like only when I have a customer in my car. So, you know, all of that time that Sarab and I spend looking for orders, going from maybe one group of restaurants to another group of restaurants. All of that time is unpaid. In 2017, in the U.S., a, a company paid for study. It was paid for by Uber and Lyft on engaged time, found that 37% of the amount of time that gig workers spend at work is not engaged time. So this minimum wage would only apply to between 40 and 60% of my time at work. And so if you were to sort of take a look at that in the example of a different sector, right? Say like a barista at Starbucks. Um, they go to work, they're in their uniform, they're at work, but they're only being paid when they're making coffee. They're not being paid the rest of the time that they're there. Or a cashier only being paid when they're ringing items up on the cash register, but not being paid from the start and the end of their shift. Minimum wage isn't meant to be... Um, sort of like a, a acknowledgement of labor. It's the minimum amount of money an employer can pay their workers for coming to and being present at work. Anything less is unlivable. What McNaughton and Ford are doing with this bill is giving employers and, and app employers in particular exactly what they have been lobbying for. At a time, McNaughton is the Minister of Labor, at a time when his own ministry has said, no, these workers are employees of an employer. And it makes me wonder, what game is he playing? What is he doing? You know, the Ministry of Labor and the minister who oversees it is meant to enforce employment standards, to enforce the Employment Standards Act, to progressively look into uh, you know, claims of misclassification or unsafe workplaces and reconcile all of those claims so that everybody who's working has basic rights, basic protections, and can live a good life because they have good jobs. And instead, the minister is bringing in something that is exactly what bad bosses have asked for. And it's as if the minister is saying that employment standards as an idea is now a buffet. And hey, employers, come on in, grab your plate, pick and choose what you want and sit down. We will make sure that you get exactly what you want the way you want it. But their job, the job of the government is meant to be to say employment standards are a hard line in the sand. Nobody crosses them. In the, in the labor movement, when we talk about unions, 
there's this this really common saying, and and of course, it, you know, it's really an idea, but that that employment standards, employee rights, are a floor. And we all stand on that floor together, and then from that floor, we reach up to, we build towards, you know, all of the things that are better that we need. And what our government is telling us with this bill is that they don't view that floor as a floor that we stand on. To them, that floor is quicksand. And this is about pulling as many of us as quickly as possible deep into that quicksand. And I think as people who work, and people who, who are going to spend the rest of our lives working, because that's how it goes. Um, I don't want to live stuck in the quicksand, and I don't think that anybody else should either. I think it's fair for us to want to stand together with a bare minimum, and for all of us to have that. Just, yeah, just to add on one thing to that is like, there was a survey conducted by the Ontario government very recently in December, or before that, a little bit before that, 69% of Ontarians said that courier, food delivery couriers who work for these app companies should be treated as employees. When Ontarians are supporting us, when they are, when they are the ones who are paying for this food delivery, who are you in the middle telling us what our rights are? When so many workers before us have fought hard and got these rights. I think we all know that getting by and living is really hard right now. Rent is really expensive and it keeps going up. The cost of gas is $1.70 today. Food is increasing in price. The future for us doesn't look like an easy one. And the most powerful tool that we have as workers is to unite together against that. Every time in history when workers have stood together against their boss, together against the government, they have won. It's where the eight-hour workday comes from. It's where overtime and vacation pay come from. It's where minimum wage comes from. Our future, I think, is going to be harder than it should. And we are going to be the people who hold the line against that difficulty. And the way to do that is through organizing in your workplace, organizing with your coworkers. Sometimes that will look like building a union and sometimes it will just look like fighting back against your boss through direct action, which is super fun. Sometimes it's striking, sometimes it's being an intentional jerk collectively together. And a lot of the time it is being creative collectively and holding a line with all of the people that you work with and saying we deserve better and we know it and we're going to fight until we win it. <laughs> yeah, amazing. That was really good. <laughs> I just could constantly, like, you know, the absurdity of it, I cannot. Well, I mean, that's the whole thing is like, we're, it's really baby hours because it's just kind of like, you know, so we have to prove that we're working. This podcast could not have been made without the support and sponsorship of Unifor, the Toronto and Region Labour Council, the Community Care Centre of the Student Association at GBC, OPSU Local 556 and 557, Big Shouts, and the GBC Centre for Preparatory and Liberal Studies. Special thanks to Jennifer and Sarab and Gig Workers United. Please review the show notes to see video of this talk and to learn more about Gig Workers United and how to get involved. And of course, to access the rest of the fully digital GBC Labour Fair Pandemic Edition. This is the last of our interviews for this year's Labor Fair. 
but stay tuned for supercuts of our keynote talks with Riley Yesno and the Toronto and Region Labour Council coming very, very soon.